Welcome and thank you so very much for joining us on today's segment of Making a Difference Through Mentorship, where we believe you make a difference one life at a time. For those of you that are joining us for the very first time, the aim and goal of these podcasts is to share biblical principles and precepts or words that we can live by that assist us in making that difference through mentorship and making a difference one life at a time. Today's topic or podcast is God wants you to be happy. Let me say that again. God wants you to be happy. One dictionary defines the word happy as being marked by pleasure, contentment, satisfaction, or joy. And one question to be answered in today's podcast is who was the happiest person who ever lived? I submit to you that Jesus was the happiest person to ever live, even through the rejections, lies, hatred, and hardships of the religious leaders that led to his crucifixion at Calvary. Allow me a few moments to lay the foundation of today's podcast. In 1 Corinthians 1.24, Jesus is called the power of God and wisdom of God. The word wisdom in this passage referring to Jesus is Sophia, which means wisdom personified. Sophia also means the capacity to not only understand something, but also to act accordingly. In the New International Version of Matthew eleven nineteen, Jesus referred to himself as wisdom when he said, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Here is a glutton and a drunkard a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is proved right by her actions. It's significant that Jesus calls wisdom her, not him. Wisdom depicted in Proverbs chapter 8 is full of happiness and delight in God the Father. Speaking of the Father, Proverbs 8 beginning at verse 27 in the Living Bible, wisdom says, I was there. When he established the heavens and formed the great springs in the depths of the oceans, I was there. When he set the limits of the seas and gave them his instructions not to spread beyond their boundaries, I was there. When he made the blueprint for the earth and oceans, verse 30, I was the craftsman at his side. I was his constant delight, rejoicing always in his presence, verse 31, and how Happy I was with what he created, his whole wide world and all the family of mankind. Verse 32, and so young men, listen to me for how happy are all who follow my instructions. And someone may wonder, why does all of this matter? The answer is because Jesus, as the wisdom of God, lived in an eternal state of happiness as God's son. The word rejoicing in Proverbs 8 and 30 can be translated in the original Hebrew as laughing or playing, which further implies being happy. The Good News translation of Proverbs 8 and 30 says, I was daily his source of joy, always happy in his presence. All of creation is attributed to Jesus as noted in John chapter 1 verses 1 through 13 As the Bible declares, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made 
that was made. In Proverbs chapter 8, Jesus as wisdom is seen as happy, rejoicing, and interacting with his Father and creation, an eternal portrait of the pre-incarnate happiness of Jesus. But many may ask the question that arises from Isaiah 53 and 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. So the question that some may have, how could Jesus be happy with being despised and rejected? When Jesus came into the world as our Savior, he came into a world that was plagued by sin. He saw and knew suffering and distress to the point that in the Garden of Gethsemane, his agony was so intense that as he prayed, the Bible says his sweat was as great drops of blood as noted in Luke 22, verse 44. Mark eleven twenty four 24, in the Amplified Bible, Jesus says, my soul, his emotions, his human emotions, uh, are, are the intellect, the will. Jesus says, my soul, my, my will, my intellect, all that made my emotional self is exceedingly sad, overwhelmed with grief so that it almost kills me. Now, that's a powerful statement of Jesus' humanity. My soul, my emotions, my intellect, what I was thinking, my will is exceedingly sad, overwhelmed with grief so that it almost kills me. Gethsemane was by far the worst day of Jesus' life on earth. And yet when Jesus came from heaven and took on the form of man, he knew when he left heaven that he was not born to live, but he was born to die, to redeem, to reconcile you and I back to a right relationship with God. Therefore, there's no contradiction between Isaiah's prophecy in the 53rd chapter, verse 3, depicting Jesus as a man of sorrows acquainted with grief and Jesus' eternal state of happiness. How do we know this to be true? Almost 800 years after Isaiah's prophecy of the 53rd chapter, the Apostle Paul says to Titus, his son in the faith, in the second chapter and the 13th verse, that as Christians, we are looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The word that Paul uses in this passage is theos, meaning God, the supreme divinity. Jesus himself uses the same word, theos, as he declares the Shema of Israel in Mark 12, verses 29 and 30. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord. Upon seeing the resurrected Christ in John 20, 28, Thomas cried out, my Lord and my God. When Thomas cried out, he said, Theos, my supreme divinity. The Amplified Version of Hebrews 1 and 8 declares, But about the Son, the Father says to him, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the scepter of absolute righteousness is the scepter of his kingdom. The writer of Hebrews uses the same term for God, Theos, our supreme divinity. In Hebrews 1 and 8, Jesus as the Son is addressed as God by God the Father, or in other words, God the Father called Jesus Christ God. God the Father is saying that Jesus has the very same nature, being, and character that he has. Within heaven, there is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And because of the nature and character of God, God wants you and I to be happy and sends us help to be happy. How do we know this? 
Jesus says in the Amplified Bible, in the 16th chapter, verse 7 of the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I'm telling you nothing but the truth. When I say it is profitable, good, expedient, advantageous for you that I go away. Because if I do not go away, here it is, the comforter, the counselor, the helper, the advocate, the intercessor, the strengthener, the standby, talking about the Holy Spirit, will not come to join you into or be in close fellowship with you. But if I go away, I will send him to you to be in close fellowship with you. For you and I to be happy, Jesus endured Isaiah's prophecy of the 50, 53rd chapter and the fifth verse where the Bible says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. The Message Bible version of Isaiah 53 and 5 says it was our sins that did that to him that ripped and tore and crushed him. It was our sins. The entire 53rd chapter of Isaiah concerns the suffering of Jesus as the God-man, as he takes the punishment for our sins, the wrongs that we have committed, knowing that his death would pay the price of our sins so that once we have been reconciled to God in this day and age, we can be happy in life with the comforter, the counselor, the helper, the advocate, the intercessor, the strengthener, the standby to be in close fellowship with you and me. The Living Bible version of Isaiah 53 and 10 declares this is what God had in mind all along to crush Jesus with pain. The plan was that he give himself as an offering for sin so that he'd see this is powerful so that he'd see Life come from it. Life, life, and more life. God uses the, this translation uses the word life four times, symbolizing generation after generation after generation after generation. Jesus would see life come from it. The offering of his life as a sin offering, he'd see life come from it. Life, life, and more life. And God's plan will deeply prosper through him and the sin offering that he paid for you and I. And a portion of that plan is for you and me is to be happy as we prosper. The word prosper in both the Old Testament and the New Testament means to go well on your journey, spiritually, financially, socially, mentally, physically, to be happy. Jesus intended for us to deeply prosper. Third John says, beloved, above all things, I would that you prosper and be in health, which includes a state of happiness. The good news translation of Isaiah 53 and 11 says, after a life of suffering, speaking of Jesus, after a life of suffering, he will again have joy, happiness. He will know that he did not suffer in vain. God, the father speaking of Jesus then says, my devoted servant, Isaiah 53 and 11 in the Good News Translation, my devoted servant with whom I am pleased will bear the punishment of many and for his sake I will forgive them. As the God-man, Jesus lived the full range of human emotions as the suffering servant of Isaiah 53 and he suffered so that you and I wouldn't have to. Jesus experienced 
the wrong things that the sinful self does, and yet he was without sin. Jesus experienced hatred from people, jealousy, anger, selfishness, division, envy, betrayal, and abandonment by his own disciples. All manner and types of the sinful nature of humanity is noted in Galatians chapter 5. One psychological study that I recently read tells us that as human beings, we have six basic emotions experienced in all human cultures around the world. Happiness, sadness, disgust, fear, surprise, and anger. The article later revised a list of basic emotions to include pride, shame, embarrassment, contempt, disgust, guilt, and excitement. Other researchers or other psychologists say that we have 27 basic emotions. The point that I want to make is that we are very emotional beings and Jesus understands all of our human emotions. In other words, our emotions are how we feel. An emotion is a feeling such as happiness, love, fear, anger, which can be caused by the situation that you are in or the people you are with. We feel sadness at the state of gun violence in our world, such as the latest mass shooting in Uvalde, Texas, where 19 children and two adults were killed at Robb Elementary School on May 25th. Others felt anger, fear, or disgust. The Amplified Version of Hebrews 4 and 15, speaking of Jesus, teaches us, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize and understand our weaknesses and temptations, but one who has been tempted. Listen at this. The Amplified Version says, but one who has been tempted, knowing exactly how it feels to be human in every respect as we are yet without committing any sin. Jesus himself wept. He cried at the death of his friend Lazarus, and he felt anger when he turned over the money changers tables and said to them, my house shall be called the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. In our emotional selves that we often deny or pay no attention to, a person may be predominantly sad and occasionally happy or predominantly happy and occasionally sad. Sadness is an emotional state characterized by feelings of unhappiness and is considered to be one of the basic human emotions. When someone that we love passes and goes on to heaven, many of us are going to be sad, which will uh, also cause grief to arise. When we look at the nightly news reporting violence, murder, wars and rumors of war, ungodly behavior around the world, robbery and such, it can make your heart sad. It is a normal response to situations that are upsetting, painful, or disappointing. But this does not mean that a person is predominantly sad and occasionally happy. Sadness can also lead to depression. Psychologists tell us that some of the symptoms of depression are a loss of interest in activities, changes in appetite, trouble sleeping, tiredness, feelings of guilt, trouble concentrating or Thoughts of hopelessness, helplessness, fatigue, and low self-esteem eventually leading one to suicidal ideations, thoughts, and actions. Depression isn't who a person is or what they are chronically feeling or afflicted with. Depression is an experience that they're going through. 
There is a reason for sadness and depression. First Kings chapter 19, the prophet Elisha found himself discouraged and sitting under a juniper tree, begging God to let him die. Elisha, in the power of God on his life, had just defeated 450 prophets of Baal. God had sent down fire from heaven and consumed Elisha's sacrifice unto him. Elisha then killed, defeated the 450 prophets of Baal. Then Elisha prayed to God for a rain, for the rain to return to the land. As Elisha began to see the rain cloud coming from a distance, he warned Ahab to hurry home before the rain stopped him. God gave Elisha strength and running on foot, he outran Ahab's horse and chariot. It was after these victories that we find Elisha in 1 Kings chapter 19. Ahab told Jezebel about the killing of 450 of her prophets. She vows to kill Elisha by the morning. Here we find Elisha entering into a period of deep depression. After the victories God has given him, now at the threat of Jezebel taking his life, he runs away to hide and finds himself sitting under a juniper tree in the Living Bible, verse 4 of 1 Kings chapter 19. Elisha says, I've had enough, he told the Lord. Just take away my life. I've got to die sometime and it might as well be now. I submit to you that Elisha was predominantly happy because God was in and on his life. But at this moment in his life, he was sad and depressed. He was predominantly happy because of the many victories he had experienced in his walk and calling from God. And although at this moment in his life, he was sad and depressed, he was not alone because in verse five, the Bible says an angel touched him, tapped him on the shoulder, told him to get up and eat. Verse six, Elijah looked around and saw some wonder bread breaking on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Verse seven, then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him again. Get up and eat some more for there is a long journey ahead of you. Verse eight. So he got up and ate and drank and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God, where he, verse nine, where he lived in a cave. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? As it was with Elijah, there will be times in our lives where we have to ask ourselves the same question that God asked Elijah. What are you doing here? What has made you sad or depressed, uncertain or anxious? What has made you irritated, frustrated or angry? When we ask ourselves the question, what am I doing here in this place? God will always provide the solution or the answer to the question. In verse 10, Elisha replied, the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you and torn down your altars and killed your prophets and only I'm left. And now they're trying to kill me too. God, God tells Elisha in verse 11, go out and stand before me on the mountain. And on this mountain, God demonstrated his power through the wind and earthquake and a fire. But he spoke to Elisha, in a small, still voice. After the wind, after the earthquake, after the fire, after the still, small voice, Elisha made his way reverently out of the cave and God asked him the same question in verse 13. 
What are you doing here, Elisha? God wanted to show Elisha his power to move heaven and earth on his behalf. And when you and I find ourselves in a place of sadness, discouragement, disappointment, or whatever we are feeling, God says to us, in essence, the same thing that he asked Elisha. What are you doing here? There are times in our lives in ministry where we, like Elisha, need to be reminded of God's power to move heaven and earth on the behalf of the assignment that he's given to us as his people. Jezebel in Elisha's life represents anything that is evil, wicked, and opposed to God's plan for your life, for my life. The spirit of Jezebel further represents spiritual wickedness in high places, just as she did with Elisha and presents herself in the form of distractions and manipulations of the mind. Manipulation is the handling or controlling of something or someone. A distraction in this sense is anything that takes your attention away from what you're supposed to be doing. Jezebel distracted and manipulated Elisha's mind by her threat upon his life. God gives us instructions on how to overcome the distraction and manipulation of the mind that will restore us to God's plan for you and me that includes his, 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 his desire for you and I to be happy. God says to us in the Amplified Bible version of Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at the 23rd verse, be constantly renewed in the spirit of your mind, having a fresh mental and spiritual attitude. In other, way, in other words, the way that we think, God says, be constantly renewed in the spirit. The word spirit here is pneuma, that which is birth of God. Be constantly renewed in the spirit of your mind. In other words, allow the spirit of God to be the major source of the way that you think, having a fresh mental and spiritual attitude, that which is birth of the spirit. Verse 24, and put on the new nature, the regenerate self created in God's image, God-like, and true righteousness and holiness. See, the ally of a renewed mind is knowing your identity is in his divinity, and you put this mindset on every day. A mindset is a mind that is set on the fact that you are created in God's image, created to have dominion and not be dominated by our emotions or our feelings that include distractions and the efforts of spiritual wickedness in high places to manipulate your mind. Hebrews 12 and 2 in the Passion Translation sheds further light on this matter. We look away from the natural realm. This is another way of saying distractions. We look away from the natural realm or the distractions and we fasten our eyes, our gaze on Jesus who birthed faith within us who leads us forward into faith's perfection. For faith is forward action in trusting him. In other words, give your faith a job. Act upon what you believe and confess until it manifests. The perfection of faith is our maturity in harmony with his divinity. In other words, you and I have got to know day by day that we've got more power than the devil and the devil is defeated and God is exalted in my life. I'm standing on top 
with all things under my feet. He has made me the head and not the tail. As a matter of fact, he's made my feet like hinds feet to make me to walk upon the high places of his will for my life. This is what we confess until it manifests. Will you see and recognize the hand of God in every circumstance and situation that tries to pull you down and bury you in the quicksands of life? No, ma'am. No, sir. You are more than a conqueror who leads us forward into faith's perfection. Hebrews 12 and 2 further declares in the Passion Translation, Jesus' example is this, because his heart was focused on the joy of knowing that you would be his. Oh, glory to God. His heart was focused on the fact, on the joy, on the happiness of knowing that you and I would be his. He endured the agony of the cross and conquered its humiliation and now sits exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. Because Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, he endured the agony of the cross, knowing that by his shed blood, by the sacrifice of his life, you and I would be redeemed, reconciled and restored to a right relationship with the Father. We understand this because even through his agony in Gethsemane, the Bible says Jesus' heart was focused on the joy, the happiness of paying the price of our redemption. Jesus paid a debt he did not owe and you and I owe a debt we cannot pay. And the reality is he was happy to do it. Jesus endured the agony of the cross because of unbounded, unlimited happiness within his nature as the God-man in the beginning before the beginning began. In spite of the cross before him, Hebrews 12 and 2 reminds us that Jesus was conscious of and clinging to the joy, the happiness that was before him because his heart was focused on knowing that you and I would be his, restored and made whole and happy because he saved us. So Paul says in Ephesians 2 and 8, for by grace have you been saved. It is through faith. It is the gift of God. God says what he means and he means what he says. This same message, what God says to us ought to cause us to be happy because the apostle Peter in the message Bible translation of 1 Peter 2 and 9 says, but you, sir, you, ma'am, are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference he made for you, he made for me, from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. Did you hear what I just said? The night and day difference God, Jesus made in our lives, from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. Most psychologists in their research agree that rejection increases anger, anxiety, depression, jealousy, sadness. Rejection further reduces a person's ability to think clearly and effectively because the mind focuses on the elements that create pain in the brain due to the factors involved with the rejection. What somebody did to you who, or what they said about you or did for others while excluding you. This is pain in the brain that manifests in our feelings and our thinking. This causes people to try and figure out God's people, causes people to try and figure out what only God can work out. But you are the ones chosen by God. You and I are chosen by God, selected and elected. 
equipped and qualified, sanctified and set aside, chosen for the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, a priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, to be used by God only, God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him to tell others of the night and day difference he made for you from nothing to something, from rejected to being accepted. See, rejecting people reject people by their everyday gravity of negativity. Isaiah 53 and 3 prophesied, He, Jesus, was despised and rejected of men. Child of God, everybody's not going to like you. Everybody's not going to appreciate you. Everybody's not going to accept you in their circle, in their social circle. Everybody's not going to greet you with a hallelujah or praise the Lord. But when you know who you are, you can be happy living the truth that David lived in Psalm 139, beginning at the 15th verse in the Living Bible. David says, you saw me before I was born and scheduled each day of my life. Before I began to breathe, every day was recorded in your book. That's powerful, my brothers and my sisters. God saw us before we were formed in our mother's womb, and he scheduled each day of our lives. He scheduled the day that you would tune into this podcast. He scheduled the day that you would give your life to the Lord. He scheduled the day that you would stand in the sanctuary lifting up holy hands. He scheduled the day that you would join the church that you belong to. He scheduled the day that you would look unto the hills and with coming cometh your help, knowing that all of your help comes from the Lord. And he scheduled all of these days before we began to breathe. Verse 17 says, how precious it is, Lord, to realize that you're thinking about me constantly. I can't even count how many times a day your thoughts turn towards me. And when I wake up in the morning, you are still thinking about me. There's never a time that you are not on God's mind. There is never a time that God is not thinking about you and me. And so when you feel like you've been rejected or excluded, remember that you are a designer original and you are always on God's mind. And he's scheduled each day of your life. So when feelings, negative feelings, negative thoughts, negative experience try and arise in your mind, think like God thinks. In other words, we take the word of the Lord and we watch the word work. Think of yourself when you feel like you've been rejected or excluded, when you've been ostracized or pushed aside, when you've been disrespected or discarded. Remember that you are a designer original. There is nobody like you anywhere in the world, nobody with your voice pattern, nobody with your fingerprints, nobody with your assignment from God because you are a designer original. There's nobody like you anywhere in the world. And we take the word of the Lord and we watch the word work because the word works in us and for us. Isaiah 55, beginning at the 10th verse, as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, God says, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void. The word void means empty. The remainder of verse 11 explains what it means to not return void, saying that God's word will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. My brothers and my sisters, this is why God says in 1 Peter 2 and 9, you are chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work. You are an instrument in the hand of God to do his work 
and speak for him to tell others of the night and day difference he's made in your life to bring you from nothing to something from feelings of being rejected by jealous, envious, carnal-minded, yes, carnal-minded Christians because Pharisees and Sadducees still come to the house of the Lord. He brings us from nothing to something to the reality of Ephesians 1 and 6 where God says you are accepted in the beloved, therefore you and I can be happy because the truth of Psalm 92 and 10 in the Good News translation becomes a consistent reality in your life and in my life where the writer de declares, you, God, have made me as strong as a wild ox. You have blessed me with happiness. God wants you to be happy. God has made us strong. You're stronger than you know because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. This is why he says to the prophet Zechariah, tell my people, it's not by might nor by power, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord. The spirit of the Lord is upon you, man and woman of God. The Spirit of the Lord is upon you. He has anointed you to preach the gospel. He has anointed you to open up the blinded eyes, to heal the broken hearted, to set at liberty those that are bruised. You are stronger than you know, strong enough to break down the strongholds of the devil that he has erected on the battlefield of your mind because you are being transformed day by day by the renewing of your mind. The word transform means metamorphosis. The voice translation of 2 Corinthians 3 and 18 declares, now all of us, not some of us, now all of us with our faces unveiled reflect the glory of the Lord as if we are mirrors. And so we are being day by day transformed, metamorphosed into his same image from one radiance of glory to another, just as the spirit of the Lord accomplished it. My brothers and my sisters, everything that you're going through, the good, the bad, and the ugly, because you are living the life of Christ with an unveiled face. You reflect the glory of the Lord as a mirror, and you're being transformed even by the good, even by the bad, even by the ugly things that have occurred <clears throat> in your life. You're being transformed. You're being metamorphosed into his same image from one radiance, brilliancy of glory to another because it's the spirit of the Lord that accomplishes this, that accomplishes this in my life and in your life. We began today's podcast with a definition of the word happy that states to be happy is marked by pleasure, contentment, satisfaction, or joy. I submit to you the Bible defines happiness and wisdom in the personification of Jesus. The Good News Translation of Proverbs 8 and 30, speaking of wisdom, who is Jesus, says, I was his daily source of joy, always happy in his presence. I submit to you that Jesus was the happiest person to ever live, even through the hardships of all of his events of his life that led to his crucifixion. He was despised and rejected of men. But I submit to you that even through Gethsemane, the agony of his mind, where he said unto the Lord, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. I submit to you that Jesus was the happiest person to ever live. We also briefly discussed that a person may be predominantly sad and occasionally happy, 
or predominantly happy and occasionally sad. Sadness is an emotional state characterized by feelings of unhappiness and is considered to be one of our basic human emotions. Elisha the prophet was, I submit to you, predominantly happy because of how God was using him in the earth. Yet on one occasion in his life, the Bible shows us him being sad and depressed. As anointed as Elisha was by God, he felt the spirit of Jezebel, which represents spiritual wickedness in high places. Her threat upon his life presented the spirits of distractions and manipulations of his mind. Manipulation is the handling or controlling of something or someone. A distraction is anything that takes your attention away from what you're supposed to be doing. Jezebel distracted and manipulated Elisha's mind by her threat upon his life. Yet in the New King James Version of Psalm 1611, David says, through all of the hardships of life, David says, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy, a synonym for happiness at your right hand, our pleasures forevermore. God, you will show us the path of life through the emotional roller coasters that we sometimes must endure. But God, in your presence, as we stay by your side, you show us the path of life for us because you know the thoughts that you think towards us, thinks towards us. How do we accomplish complete happiness in life and ministry? We practice being happy by practicing God's word and his wisdom, by practicing the fact that our identity is in, is in his divinity because we are created in his image and likeness to have dominion and not be dominated, not to be dominated by negative thoughts or experiences, not to be dominated or intimidated or manipulated by people in our workplaces or in our communities, not to be dominated or intimidated by what's happening in the world. We have dominion. How so? By practicing the word and wisdom of Ephesians chapter four, as an example, which declares be constantly renewed in the spirit of your mind, having a fresh mental and spiritual attitude and put on the new nature. I've been born again. You've been born again. The regenerate self created in God's image in true righteousness and holiness. When you and I put on the new nature, the nature of God, we make a choice to walk in the authority that we've been given by God. My brothers and my sisters, you got to choose day by day. I'm going to walk in my God-given authority because no weapon that's formed against me shall be able to prosper. It doesn't mean that the weapons won't form, but they shall not be able to prosper. And so another translation of Psalm 1611, as we close today's podcast declares, God, you will teach me the right way to live. Just being with you will bring complete happiness. Being at your right side will make me happy forever. Know this, my brothers and sisters, God wants you happy forever. And as you and I trust in his word, practice being happy by the truth of his word, it shall be so.